0: I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson. And this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. I'm very proud to announce our new sponsor, Katsu Global. We're so thankful for their support and we'll tell you more about them later on in this episode. I've been looking forward to today's conversation for a while now. Hank Richardson is a dear friend and forever teammate of mine. He earned a full scholarship for diving to the University of Florida, where he went on to become a 10-time All-American. He was also a U.S. national champion and national team member for USA Diving. Although Hank retired from diving when he graduated from college, some of his old injuries continued to plague him long after he left the pool. In fact, the pain became so severe that it was starting to impact his ability to enjoy work. At the urging of a friend, Hank tried his first Pilates yoga ballet hybrid class, and it was the beginning of something special. Not only was he beginning to manage his pain and experience relief, but it led to him teaching classes, opening new studios, and going back to school to get a master's in business. And Hank's senior project in his MBA program became the foundation upon which his health and well-being studio, Define, was created. And this idea quickly took root in the community and began to expand throughout Houston, the country, and even across the globe. But pain management and physical fitness is only part of Hank's passion. He is also a well-being and positive psychology expert. So, of course, we just had to dive into this important concept. We discussed positive ways to reframe your thinking and how positive psychology can help and impact athletes on their journey to greatness. And along the lines of positive psychology, I am really excited to introduce to you the Confidence Journal. It feels so good to have created a tool to help you keep your head in the game and get you ready for your toughest competition. This new journal will teach you how to focus and refocus your mind to help you process the difficulties of training, competition, and life in a productive and positive way. It will help you move past obstacles and understand how to use your challenges to propel you closer to your biggest goals. This journal is specifically designed to be quick and effective. You'll begin to take charge of your mindset and start your days off positive and focused. And at the end of each day, you'll discover lessons and building blocks to continue growing. If you order the Confidence Journal at laurawilkinson.com slash journal by Wednesday, March 30th, you'll also be invited to a free live workshop with yours truly to learn how to get the most out of your journal. So order right now at laurawilkinson.com slash journal. You have till March 30th to order to be a part of this free live workshop with me. I hope to see you there. Before we get started, go smash that subscribe button and give us a five-star review if you've been enjoying the Pursuit of Gold podcast. All right, I believe that there's gold in your future, so let's dive on into this episode. Pursuit peeps. I am so happy to welcome my dear friend and forever teammate Hank Richardson to the pursuit of gold podcast.
1: Yay. Thanks for having me, Laura.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm so excited for this. Now, Hank, I've known you for a million years and you've had a super successful diving career. I want you to tell us, take us all the way back, maybe even back to your, uh, camp longhorn days and tell us how you got into diving and what that career was like.
1: Oh, well, it's an honor to be called a super successful diver from you, right? (laughs) Well, honestly, so the the history that I have with diving, it was a a love of just being in the water. And it started as a gymnast that then started having me swimming. And when I was in the swimming pool one day, I looked and saw the divers at the other end of the pool. And I was like, that looks like a lot more fun than just going back and (laughs) forth and back and forth. And so I went to Camp Longhorn one summer and I remember the the coach there who was the swimming coach said, um, let's go to the diving well and do some stuff. And I could do a few flips, et cetera, from being a gymnast. And he was like, Man, you should actually consider being a diver. You know, you have <laughs> you have good technique. And it was actually a guy from the University of Texas that said that. And wise, um, very wise. Yeah, very wise. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> yeah. And I um, ended up going and telling the diving coach I wanted to try out. And he said, yeah, welcome on board. And, um, and then after several years, I joined the Woodlands diving team and that's where I met you and all of the amazing people that we've had such close friendships with for all these years. And, um, diving, it truly was a a way of utilizing movement as a self-expression and, you know, the, the, all the many lessons that all of us learn in diving, the overcoming fears, the setting goals and accomplishing them, the concept of resiliency, even during injuries, et cetera. It's such a powerful, powerful sport.
0: Yeah. I love the way you described it too. And I mean, you were, Super successful at it. You were a two-time Texas high school state champ. You were a national champion. You got a full scholarship to a D1 school, at University of Florida. You got ten NCAA All-Americans there. Like, how was that transition from like age group athlete to college athlete?
1: So I remember, you know, the time frame that we had when we were in high school and we were training with Kenny. And and as I know many of your listeners know that uh, Kenny was our coach, such an incredible human being, was such a role model for me and a mentor going to the university setting was a very big change. And, um, not only was it a shift and change in the way that we trained, but it was also just a shift and change in the whole entire mindset of, of what the sport represented, because, you know, being a student athlete, you are literally performing a job (laughs) in some ways you are studying for school, you're going to school, you're training first thing in the morning, you're training in the evening, you're eating. I mean, it's it's very regimented, right? And I know for a fact, it made me a much stronger, better person. But I remember that first year being like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can continue doing this. This is so, so much, so much <laughs> commitment, right? Well, you guys but are I'm-
0: very physical there too. Donnie like really put you guys through the Through the ranks, didn't he? With like, like, I mean, more cardio and things like that. I remember you guys were having like a really hard time because we didn't do much of that (laughs) growing up.
1: Well, it's funny because you know thinking about like the way that athletes train these days, it's there's so much more science and technology around like what helps performance for specific sports. And I feel like this training that we were doing was almost like CrossFit style, right? That, that I went to university of Florida, they were making us run the stadiums and lift the weights and do all these things. And I, I, you know, the whole freshman 20 or freshman 15 that they talk about, well, I gained 20 pounds, but it was actually a muscle
0: muscle, probably. And yeah, <laughs> it, it,
1: it was, but it, and it worked, but at the same time, it was just such a different way of, of training for me. And I remember coming back home over the summer and re getting back into the kind of fine tuning that Kenny would have all of us do and it actually does work really really well. It's not just about muscling through things. It's about training your body for the precise movements and actions that are going to help you to to make the the harder dives possible.
0: For sure. Did you have now I know mindset's big for you now too and did you have a like any trouble going from, you know, when we're in high school and you're doing, you know, high school and, you know, junior Olympic stuff, like it's, it's for the love of sport. But when you get to college, sometimes it kind of switches because like you said, it's kind of like a job. Not only is it just full time, but you're kind of getting paid to go to school while performing. So it's, it it can be a mindset shift for a lot of people. Did you struggle with that at all? Or was it just more of the, the physicalness that was difficult?
1: You know, the the ignorance is bliss concept is true <laughs> because I just went in like very open-eyed and was like, you know what, let's go for it. And anything that my coach would tell me to do, I'd be like, okay, I would give it a go. And, you know, just having that kind of um, athletic mindset where you push yourself and for the good and bad at times, right? You push yourself to try to overcome whatever challenges are thrown at you. And the good thing about the mindset that really works physically hard created is that when we got to the end of the year I actually really knew I deserved it. I was like, I've worked so hard, I deserve to do well at this NCAA championship and and so that it, it, it worked and it, it, but at the same time by the end of the year I was a little burnt out physically, mentally, emotionally. so it was really nice to come back home that summer and, and have some time with uh, people like you and people that I just were such fuels for for my love for the sport of diving.
0: Yeah, no, I totally, totally understand that. Now, when did your kind of back injury begin? Because you dealt with that for a long time through diving and then after diving. Like, when did that all kind of start? Can you pinpoint like one specific moment or did it just kind of come on over time?
1: You know, it's a really funny story and it's almost not believable because I remember one day feeling this little bump on my back. It was (laughs) was your alien, right? It was my little alien. And I remember being like, what is going on? And Being like a 16, 17-year-old kid, I mean, I was trying to figure out how to like fix it, you know, and it just wasn't happening. And I shortly after that started to realize that, you know, the the little discomfort that I was having was getting worse and worse. And this was around the age of 16, 17. And it wasn't one particular dive. However, there was one dive that I remember doing. It was just a, you know, a front three and a half off of 10 meter platform. And as soon as I hit the edge of the platform, I was like, ah, it took my breath away. And I, you know, luckily was okay. went into the water, but I had a really, really hard time getting out of the pool. And it was that moment on that I just had to be really super careful. Luckily, the same exact reasons why I hurt my spine, the sport of diving, are the same reasons why it kept me healthy. We were doing lots of physical training to keep core strong. We were also doing a lot of flexibility training to make sure that the muscles weren't getting overly imbalanced or tight. So it was a, a kind of a... a win-win in many ways. And then other times it felt like it was a (laughs) lose-lose, right? Oh
0: yeah. Well, I remember it was, it was weird because, you know, on a lot of people, they, they have you know, nagging injuries or whatever, and and you know, it's painful, but you don't see it where yours is like this. We always called it your alien. <laughs> I just remember that being real, real kind of funny, not funny. You know what I mean? But we tried to obviously find the humor in it.
1: Well, obviously. And just the the people that are listening, it's, it's the name of it is actually, um, it's a somewhat common back injury. And when I went to the doctor, the doctor said, there are three people that get this type of injury, diapers, gymnasts, and bull riders. Oh, that's, wow. <laughs> and the bull rider, right? yeah, it's, it's because the L5, your lumbar spine, the L5 essentially had slipped forward and it's called spondylolisthesis. You know, it, it's manageable. A lot of people have to have fusions done, but that's really how I started getting into the next phase of my life, which was really getting into yoga and Pilates to help to prevent, to have to have the fusion.
0: Yeah. Now this is, and this is a fun story because it's, I don't know what you were majoring in, in your undergrad. Cause you've gotten like a million degrees now, but, but you went <laughs> to teach for America in the Bronx. And I remember kind of being really surprised at that. What was your undergrad and how did you find yourself in teach for America, which eventually, you know, randomly led to, you know, your whole journey beyond that. Yeah. But tell us some of the backstory.
1: Oh, uh, it's fun to think about this because, you know, My senior year of college, that was the year that I was in the most amount of pain in my physical body. And so I was trying to figure out what is next for me. And I do think of it as a blessing for myself that it forced me during the timeframe that I was in college to say, your body can only take you so far at this point. So you have to think about what is the next step? Because as you know, as we know, if you have a goal in the sport of diving, it is like your life. It is everything you do, everything you eat, everything you think, you know, it's, it's, it's an individual sport. So it's really, really a hugely important part of life because of this injury that happened in my senior year, I had to ask myself, okay, well, what is next? And I was thinking about, you know, the things that I was most passionate about. And I studied business in undergrad, but I also minored in education, which I know sounds kind of <laughs> almost random at the time, but it really does actually make a lot of sense now because when I started thinking about the classes and the things that I really, really loved, it was centered around psychology. It was centered around education. It was around mindset. And so I applied for this program called Teach for America and they placed me to teach sixth graders in, in the South Bronx. And it was a, it was truly life transforming experience.
0: Tell me a little bit about that. Cause I mean, not a lot of people have done that. And I, and I remember, I remember you talking about it when you were going through it and it, it seemed like a lot, like very overwhelming.
1: You know, they, the program's concept is they take people that um, have traditionally performed well in a variety of different settings and they put them into these situations specifically in school settings that historically have underperformed. So, They'll put you in the, some of the lowest performing either schools or districts or regions of various cities and also urban, area, uh, urban and rural areas across the United States. And so I was placed in New York and they give you like a, a ability to rank like your top several choices. And, um, and actually New York was in my top five. And so they placed me there. I did my training. And actually another part of the story is I was trained to be a second grade teacher and when it came down to actually being placed, there was a school that was like, we really, really, really want to have a male instructor to teach this class for sixth graders. And so I you know, jumped on board just saying, "You know what? Whatever gets thrown at us, let's do it. So it was it, there were so many incredible, amazing stories. Um, I could spend a long time talking about it, but you know it is I give all the respect in the world to school teachers. Any school has its challenges. Any grade level has its challenges. And so working with the various teachers that were in our public school setting just gave me the most utmost respect for for what school teachers do on a daily basis. So I still have a huge passion for it.
0: So where did you go from there? I mean, did you know that was just going to be temporary and you were going to move on to something at that point? Or I I know that at that point, you also started seeking out other remedies for your back that was still bothering you.
1: Yeah. So there was a huge transition. And now, in fact the summer between my my two years of teaching. So Teach for America is a two-year teaching program, and they don't expect everyone to stay in a public school setting for the rest of their lives. However, a lot of people do, but they also do know that that exposure to a school setting is going to change the frame of reference that any person that goes through that program is going to have. And so I was able to go through... That program and just like gain a a complete respect for the education process and see what all the things that need to be changed in in many ways. But as a summer job, I started to say, you know what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then the next step I took was, well, another huge passion of mine is movement. I still love it. I started doing yoga. I started doing Pilates on a consistent basis and things kind of just fell in a line where you know, the, the story of how I transitioned from being a school teacher and really getting into the next phase of my life was really centered around another step of just following my passion. You know, as I was teaching school, I was really, really interested in the concept of health and the concept of well-being, even for my students. One of the crazy things was um, a story. I remember I had a student who brought an, a liter of orange soda into class one day. And um, I said, "Okay, well, what is that? why so much soda?" He like, "This is what my mom gave me for lunch," Aww. and he was totally happy about it, actually. <laughs> but so we met with the mom, and just you know, during one of the normal parent-teacher conferences, I'm like, "I'm noticing that you know, Edgar is bringing a bunch of different like sodas in for school." She's like, "Yeah, because it's it's so much cheaper than buying orange juice, or it's so much cheaper than buying milk." So um, I'm just buying him this, and we started to try to learn and. Educate a little bit around like, like sugars and just how the brains develop, et cetera, especially at such a young, important age of the formative years for a middle school, middle school student. But all of these different experiences of the education, of the health, and the well being started to help me make this transition into this next thing. And it was getting into yoga and Pilates. And I was doing it purely for my own health and my own well being reasons. But it was not until uh, actually I was taking the class of someone who also said, hey, we're looking for a guy instructor. <laughs> Did you have any interest in, in doing this? So, I mean, some of it is stuff that literally was just me starting to open the door a little bit and then noticing that things were starting to fall a little bit more into place.
0: Well, and it really fell into place. I mean, you didn't just take a class there, start teaching one class like you got really involved and even I think started like opening other studios, didn't you?
1: Yeah. So um, you're absolutely right. In fact, what happened was it was a timing thing with this company. This company happened to be opening up a new location in Boston and then Chicago. And then they said they were opening up in Los Angeles. And so they were looking to bring on a g- couple of different people to help them potentially move. And I was single and in my... like. Early mid 20s. And so, like
0: perfect timing.
1: Like, yeah, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm looking for some adventure. That'd be fun. Mm-hmm. So, I did. I moved to Chicago. I moved to Boston. I moved to Los Angeles. Even lived in San Francisco for a little while, helping them open up their new stores. And so, I was the teacher trainer. And I was also kind of like a brand manager. And it was for this company called Exhale, and it was a spa. And so, I was in charge of all the body and mind movement.
0: Well, so what was that experience like? Cause you, how long did you do that for?
1: So that was from 2004 or five until 2007. So only a few years, but when you are moving from place to place, it's unbelievable experience because... When I say I lived at work, I'm not lying. When I say I literally was living. So if you think of the spa, like the bathroom is where I would shower.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You literally lived there.
1: (laughs) I literally, there was a little closet room in the back that I would live. And I lived there for about three months in each of those places.
0: So at the time, I mean, obviously it plays into what you're doing now in such a huge way, but I don't think you were thinking of that at the time. Like were were you more just excited about the movement part of it and feeling better? Because I remember were you talking about how your back was feeling so much better, you know, but, but I'm guessing in the background of your mind, you're, you're taking in all of this, like, how do you open a franchise? How do you run a business? How do you do all these things? Like, <laughs> I guess, well, yeah. What was that like?
1: It's so true. And in so many ways that you are, are just a product of each and every moment. And just in some ways, when you're in that age, you're taking it day by day, because it's similar to what I said about diving, you know, I was forced into this next chapter, And then when I got into school teaching, I really was open-ended and surrendered in many ways to just saying, okay, what is my next step? And I would tell you, I never really thought of myself as being like a fitness instructor as my goal um, in all of this, but I loved working with clients and I loved working with people. And that has been kind of the consistent theme for me throughout. And when you believe in a product or a service, so much because of its own transformative benefits that you've received. It's impossible to not want to share that truly. And so, I mean, I I will tell you, I I didn't necessarily think that this was going to be my next step. In fact, that's why I went back to business school was to say, you know what? I think it's time to get a real job. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's time to grow up. And I didn't know what to do. So I was like, well, you know what? I'm going to go to business school. And at business school, it's again, where I just was like, you know what? This is what my love is. This is what my passion is. And this is how I know I can, you know, be of service in this world.
0: Also, I guess take me through because I'm like, (laughs) I'm still in the eternal athlete mode. And, you know, I've created some stuff online, but I've never run a whole studio and opened it. And going into this venture from finishing business school, realizing, okay, yeah, I do want to do this to creating your own brand and opening up your own studio. Like, what is that like? Because I, you know, I love that there's a lot of athletes, coaches, you know, listening to this right now, and I, I kind of want them to be inspired that like they can take their love of movement and sport and that and create something so cool for people. So, walk us through that journey of of idea of define into reality.
1: Oh yeah, it's actually a really fun story because I was in my second year of business school. It was the fall semester, and the year prior to me starting business. Business school, it was so I started business school in 2007 and graduated in 2009. And if you recall, 2008 was known as like the Great Recession, right? When everything collapsed, everything was going wrong, it seemed like. And so, our graduating class, I think only 25% of the graduates had a job lined up. Whereas prior, the year before, over 75% of the graduating class had had their jobs lined up at that point in, in time. So it was a huge shift. And in many ways that gave me the freedom and the opportunity to say, you know what, there might be other avenues that I can explore. And we happened to do a case study and it just so happened that it was on crunch fitness. So there's a gym kind of spread out throughout the United States called crunch. And there was a whole entire case study that we read about in business school. And after reading that it was, it was definitely piquing my interest, but my professor within that same time frame, said something that changed my life. He said, you know what? Don't take a job just because it's available. He said, do something that will define your role in this world. And literally the light bulb went off the chills in my body. And, and, and I'll be honest because it's, it's, it's a process of overcoming fear in many ways, just like diving. But I was like, I don't know if I'm going to open up a studio, but if I do, I know I'm going to name it Define. (laughs)
0: That's so perfect. I love that.
1: And thinking about even like the diving analogy, like, you know, we don't just go up to the 10 meter platform and throw ourselves off. We start at the one, we go to the three, we go to the five, we go to the seven, you know, and then we go to 10 meter. And even as we're learning new dives on 10 meter, we do a bunch of lead-ups on five meter, et cetera. And business school was my little training platform. It was slowly letting me rise up a little bit more. And so I was able to talk to a bunch of my professors about the idea. And I was really lucky. I had someone who was there to support me. And it was the same professor that said, define your role in this world. And she gave me a lot of push to say, you can do this. Like, You can make this work. You've done your business plan. You've thought through the different, you know, your strengths, what are the weaknesses of this? What are some of the different, um, competitive analysis that we need to do? You know, what are the various threats of, and ultimately the biggest threat was, well, no one shows up, but I was like, I can guarantee That at least my mom and her friends will show up. (laughs) So I was like, "I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." Hey, it's good to
0: have those guarantees sometimes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the the ironical or the irony in all of this is that my mom and my uh, family were some of the last people to actually show up. (laughs) Yeah, not not in support. They wanted to physically support, but they were not really into yoga and Pilates at the time. (laughs) That's so funny. So.
0: So uh, yeah tell tell us about you you like you opened it it is a reality like getting people in the door i mean was it successful right away or did it take a while for people to to hear about it to know about it to come
1: yeah so one of the things that i that really gave me the encouragement to continue with this process was the fixed costs on this are relatively low because the format that we were utilizing was mostly just a mat based class we used some lightweights, mat, and we had this little blue ball that was super easy. So the costs were relatively low. The biggest cost was going to be my rent. And then, you know, even from an instructor perspective, I kept that cost really, really low by teaching the majority of the classes in the beginning. So, you know, it took about three months before we started to really pick up some decent traction. But I opened up in October of 2009. And I remember we had a decent month in October. However, the month of November, we went slightly down because of the holidays. But then in the month of December, because everyone had breaks, they were actually taking more classes. We went back up just a little bit but it wasn't until January and that's, you know, January and February were were really good months for us because people were ready to start something new. So a lot of it was timing, but a lot of it was also just like, you know, staying on top of marketing and trying your best to make sure that in the crazy growing world of social media at that that time, right? Facebook was really starting to take a, a huge push and YouTube was, we were trying to just put ourselves out there in any way we knew how.
0: Oh, that's really cool. I mean, it, it grew to several Houston locations. You started doing franchises all over the country. You even opened a studio in Dubai. Like, it's, it's one thing to open one little studio where you're teaching most of the classes, there's not a lot of equipment, and now you're like this huge entity. Like, <laughs> I guess, how did that, you know, in like, can, I guess, idea begin to start franchising it? And then, you know, what were the, the benefits, the, the positives, the negatives, um, all that kind of good stuff?
1: It's like that franchise model was, again, had a lot to do with my business school professor who said, you know, the goal of this type of organization is to create something that can be replicated. And in the lowest cost to you, you know, model out there is the franchising model. Instead of me going out and trying to open up all these new locations, having to sign personal guarantees with all these different landlords and, you know, shelling out the money, there are a lot of benefits to being owners, but there was some benefit to also considering the franchise model and so that's that's the direction that i ultimately pursued however there are also a lot of negatives <laughs> challenges that can also happen because of the franchise model and a lot of it is because the mindset of a franchisee is that they own a business whereas really they're just licensing the name and the services of the business and so when you're dealing with that mindset of someone who thinks that they own a brand versus that they're a representative of a brand, you sometimes encounter people that are like, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. Like, well, that's not what we do. This is what we do. This is what we do. And if you can imagine, if, if that's the relationship that you have, sometimes there can be some conflict with that.
0: Uh, just some. I mean, it sounds so small, but that's a big deal if somebody is representing you and they're not doing it right. You know,
1: exactly. And you're literally feeling like you're you're like, that's my baby, right? <laughs> you know, <that's> like, <laughs> and, and, and when they're when they're doing something that helps to like move it in a slightly different direction, you kind of take it personally. But you know, over a period of time, you start to learn and understand why the franchise contract is set up the way it is set up. It's because. It really has to be very consistent from location to location.
0: I started using Katsu when I discovered it could be used for recovery. After speaking with a Navy SEAL friend that had used Katsu to help him recover from traumatic injuries, I decided to give it a try for an ongoing tricep issue I had. Within the first week, I noticed the cramping I had in my tricep would completely stop after a Katsu session. It also helped me recover much faster after platform workouts. After seeing such great recovery, I started to add katsu into some strength training and plyometric workouts as well. And the craziest side effect that I noticed was that I was hardly ever sore after a workout I did while wearing the katsu bands. I feel like katsu has given me the ability to get stronger while recovering faster. Katsu is the pioneer and gold standard of the emerging blood flow restriction market. Navy SEALs, world champions, and gold medalists use Katsu daily for improved performance, quicker rehabilitation, and unprecedented recovery from hard workouts, intense competitions, and even jet lag. Katsu was invented in Japan and has been used at every Winter and Summer Olympics since 1988. Katsu Global offers a variety of easy to use products that can be used safely and effectively in the comfort of your home, office or during travel. It can be used for any workout or between training and competitions for recovery. Check it out at www.katsu.com. That's dot u.com. And so how did you manage to keep that? Like did you did that become a problem or yeah what what did you do with that?
1: I feel like we did a really good job and then COVID hit, right? And then truly, once COVID hit, it was a survival mindset and a little bit of a free-for-all. And truly, people felt like they had to do whatever they needed to do to make sure that they survived. And we really responded quickly by pivoting within just a few days. Our entire business shifted online. We started doing Zoom classes. We had an on-demand platform. So we worked really, really hard to make that pivot and our clients recognized it. And because of that, they kept paying their membership. So it was a really, really powerful timeframe. And at first it brought us all together very closely, but then over time, it was a challenge because what was so like, we rose to the occasion was, you know, a, a positive mindset. But then after that, things started to get a little bit back to normal, but then it rose again right? The, the uh, number of cases of COVID started rising and then Mm -hmm. people stopped showing up and then it went back down and then it would rise again and go so unpredictable. Yeah. And it became, it became almost this cycle of loss of hope that like, this is never going to end. And this is a really hard business to be able to keep functioning if you're not able to have people inside your space. Right. Right. So, yeah. So it's been, it's been a wild ride, but you know what? I feel like we're all stronger because of it.
0: For for sure, and I think it's amazing the way you guys pivoted like that. And um, I, I mean, what happened with the the franchises? Like, are they still up and running, or have they since you know changed or, or pivoted as well?
1: Yeah, so we have been in this process of shifting, really in a kind of a, a big way towards not just being known as yoga, Pilates, and cycling, but really how can we be a well-being hub? How can we incorporate meditation? How can we incorporate nutrition? How can we incorporate the physical movement and also even workshops around positive psychology and, and things that are going to help to enrich the value of not only their membership, but really enrich their, their well-being in all areas of their life too. So it's always focused on our customers and our clients as, as much as we possibly can.
0: Well, I love that. And and I want to dive into the um, positive psychology too, because at some point you pivoted to get your master's in positive psychology, which I think is cool. You did that at what I think it was the University of Pennsylvania. They're like the only ones that offer that.
1: Yeah. So University of Pennsylvania has a master's in applied positive psychology. And what's great about the program is it attracts people not only from all over the world, but in every single type of industry you can imagine, whether it's in school, medical, attorneys. Um, We have a huge group of people that are coaches and consultants, and then a lot of various entrepreneurs as well that are looking to help bring the science and the research of positive psychology into the organizations that that they run. Yeah, and and the whole entire thing about positive psychology isn't to say that we must always be positive. That's that's really not what it's trying to say. It's saying if we can learn to see the full spectrum, if you will, both sides of the coin, because traditional psychology has always focused on the things that are wrong with us, our fears, um, you know, our phobias, right? The the various issues that we're having, whether it's in sports or in life. And instead, if we can start to say, well, let's start looking at like what's going well. And what are the things that we can do to start to say, how can I make sure that if things do go wrong, that I can at least kind of rebound back into a space that helps me to get back on the path that I want to be living.
0: Which is really cool. I love that. And how did you start like incorporating that into Define?
1: So- one of the pillars of positive psychology is this understanding of what's called their, their character strengths. And that was the first thing that we started to do Was even within our instructors and our training, as well as also our franchisees and also the managers was to say, you know what, let's bring our strengths into this pot of, of what we're all trying to accomplish. Because so many of us focus on our weaknesses and by focusing on our weaknesses, it just makes us feel really, you know, lethargic by the end of the day. In fact, there's this fun little analogy that was once given to me. It's like, if you were to sign your name with your dominant hand and just like sign it da real quickly, it would be effortless. It would flow. You didn't have to think about it too much. But if you were to put your pen in the opposite hand for most people and then sign your name, it would take more time and be sloppy.
0: Look like my six-year-old handwriting. (laughs) It'd look
1: very childlike. Yeah, exactly. And the concept is, is like if we're just focusing on our weaknesses, well, that's how we're going to feel when we're living our lives. Versus if we can put our energy and focus on our strengths, then it's going to have that ability for us to find more of a state of flow, more of a state of ease, and also be able to be more proficient. Wow.
0: That's a really good analogy to, to explain all of that. Um, that's really good. What would you advise people listening on how to like practice that kind of thought and that way of thinking?
1: The first thing that I can think of is, is how I've even incorporated it into my family because I have an 11 year old son and I, as a lot of kids do, they, they, catastrophize everything, right? Like (laughs) something little becomes a really big deal, right? Oh yeah. Some some more than others. (laughs) And um, one thing that really helps is when you just literally end your day and say something like, you know, something good that happened to me today was, and then you have someone else at the table share, what's something good that happened to you today? And then you try to go around the room and if you can think of three good things that have happened to you, You don't necessarily like immediately shift when you say one, but once you've said a few of them, there's this concept um, by this researcher named Barbara Fredrickson. She talks about, it's called broadening and building. When you open up a little bit, you start to see more than when you were super closed off and really focused on that one negative thing. If instead you would start to open up and say, okay, well, something good that happened to me today was I got to speak to Laura Wilkinson and my son would be like, who's that? And I'm said, well, she was an amazing friend um, when I was in high school and she also is a gold medal. You know, it's like we can start to go through this broadening. Each one of these steps of the story would just start to open not only my mind, but also his mind and to all the good things that potentially happened. And so it's a really powerful and very simple lesson. And so it's called a positive intervention because it's easy for us to downward spiral. So how can we intervene? How can we intervene that negativity and that downward spiral by coming up with, not like sugarcoating it, that's not the concept. It's about stopping the downward spiral so we can at least take a moment to see truly the full picture and not just focus focus on the negative.
0: I absolutely love that. Um, and I, I didn't know there was a name for it, but I do that with my kids every day after school, asking them about all the good things that happened that day and, and trying to focus on that, especially when they're really not happy with how school went. So yeah, I really, I really like that. And I've actually, which I want to talk to you more about probably after, you know, this, this little interview, but, but I have a confidence journal coming out and it really is kind of about those things, like setting your mind right in the morning, like what are the things that you're thankful for? What are your goals for the day? And at the end of the Day, it's okay. What are my takeaways? What were my wins today? And really remembering that those are the things you need to focus on and harness. And from there, you can continue to increase and change, and and see where maybe you're not hitting your stride, but there were still good things within there. But there's still places to grow, and so I, I love that there's like names for it because I've never really heard about this until you told me about the classes you're taking and, and the degree that you got, which I, I think is so cool. So I, I guess where would you, what would you have done if you knew about this? You know, back when you were diving or in college, um, like would it have trained changed the way you trained or competed or handled things? You think?
1: I think that if I were to go back in time, there'd be these definite two things I would shift a little bit. And, and one of them actually is about the yoga and the Pilates truly. I feel like we did a lot of really wonderful training, but part of the reason I had a lower back injury was because I had a, a imbalance in the amount of flexibility between my hamstrings, which were very flexible and my quadriceps, which were very tight. And so it was misaligning my pelvis a little bit. So that's from the physical perspective, I would have spent a little bit more time really trying to understand how my hip flexibility, my quadricep flexibility, and my hamstring flexibility all contributed to the un- uniqueness of where I was having issues and imbalances, which was within in my lower back, right? But then from a positive psychology mindset, and you know, there's a lot of amazing sports psychologists out there and the research that's out there. And we actually, we looked at a lot of sports psychology information too. And I think that the big, the huge takeaway is it's not simply about just being focused on the good, right? It's also coming up with a plan for what when things don't go the way you expected, how to kind of overcome that. Because positive psychology looks at the study of resiliency. It looks at the study of um, the positive from the sense of positive emotions, people's sense of meaning and relationships. But it also does take a huge focus on how we can find our own personal strengths to actually step into our thought processes on how we're approaching a situation. And I just remember in competitions, you know, like when you're doing well, you're doing well, you're in the zone. Yeah, it's amazing. But let's say you, had, you missed a dive. For some people, it's hard to kind of come back after that. So how can we, how can we utilize the strengths of resiliency and our personal strengths? And instead of focusing on the negative, reframe it saying, you know what? I missed that dive. You know, I can move forward. What's the kind of cognitive approach that you can take to say to yourself, which is I'm going to get this next dive though. You know, I've done it before. I can do it again, right? Instead of just focusing on the negative, which is like, oh, I just blew it. Oh no, I'm behind. And I'm not going to be able to make up for that. You know, that's sometimes the downward spiral that happens with athletes. How can we step in and be like, you know, I've messed up before, and I've come back again, and I've done it, and I can, I know I can do it again. So it's it's like putting that sense of belief back into the process.
0: Ah, I, I love that so much. I feel like I feel like where has this course been all my life? Because I feel like I've been kind of doing it, but not really knowing it, and like I could develop it more. You know, I lo- I love this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you have been such a huge advocate for this too. Is just kind of like showing us how when a setback occurs. I mean, you are the role model of that, Laura, you know, like how we can, can rise and be inspired by it. And you are truly the personification of that, that whole entire concept of resiliency. So it's fun to see that. And in fact, positive psychology looks at that. It says, spend time looking at people like that. It provides a sense of awe and inspiration. And when we see that, it means that we can also think of ourselves doing it as well
0: okay, that's awesome. You're going to make me. (laughs) Well, kind of to to tag team on this, like, I know you're really big into meditation and that mind body connection. Um, and, and I am too, you know, I I think that's, it's so powerful. And, and like we're saying, just, just the way you're thinking the positive psychology, but, but to even incorporate that more, like, I, I I'd like to hear from you, um, why you think meditation is so important. And if you have any suggestions to our listeners on how to incorporate it, like we've talked about mindfulness and meditation before, but maybe how you incorporate it, how you, would suggest starting to do that and what benefits it can have?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I started doing meditation very similarly to the reason I started doing yoga and Pilates was for physical pain. I just, you know, I was still at a point where I was still having some pain. And I started, I literally stumbled upon a book that was talking about helping to reduce pain through mindfulness and meditation. And so that's how I really started doing it on a consistent basis. And, you know, just like most things in life, sometimes it ebbs and flows, but I found that when I was meditating consistently, other benefits would happen. I felt like I was handling other stresses better. And I know this sounds kind of like, um, <laughs> kind of crazy, but I just felt like my skin looked better. My eyes looked clear. I was like, what's going on with this meditation stuff? And so I started getting more into it just from a you know, curiosity perspective. But what I ultimately realized is that what meditation is doing is it's training us simply to become more aware, more aware of our internal dialogue, more aware of the stories we tell about other people or ourselves, more aware of truly how we feel being around certain people or how we feel about um, certain activities that we do. That a sense of awareness is like that first step. How can we approach this with a sense of awareness so that we can And now using the words of positive psychology, tell if we're broadening and building or if we're closing off and contracting. And that state of awareness helps us to to then make the decision of what intervention do we need? You know, do we need to have a conversation with this person because they're being rude to us? Do we need to have the intervention of just simply saying, look, I'm just creating some sort of a, excuse my language, but BS type story in my head about this situation. And so it helps us to start to see a little bit more of that truth versus the, you know, the falsehoods that a lot of us create in our own minds. And so that has to happen on a daily basis, right? Because over time, we just get accustomed to everything that we're doing, whatever it is. So we don't want to negatively adapt. We want to positively adapt. And so meditation is a tool to help us consistently bring that sense of awareness into our lives and I, I love the analogy for meditation where it's like, you know, you can go a couple of days without showering and not a lot of people notice, but after a while, you know, <laughs> people are going to notice, right? And I feel the same way about my meditation. Like I can go a couple of days and it's not a big deal, but if I go for more than three, four five days, it's, it, it, I get my, my attitude's a little stinky. So
0: you have the best analogies. I'm just going to tell you right now. You really
1: do. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fun to learn about. Truly, it's it's a constant process, right? Of of understanding not only how the brain works, but how it influences the rest of our lives.
0: Oh, so true, so true. And and what you were saying about. You know, like you thought your skin looked better and your eyes look better. Like, I mean, cause you're, you're actively resting in a sense too, and, and bringing your body into this, you know, state. And, and we've talked about mindfulness before with some sports psychologists and, you know, just being aware and, and being in tune with yourself. Um, and how powerful that can be when you're in the middle of a competition and you're able to like, let go of everything else because you're you're in the moment and you, you learn how to, and that's kind of like being in the zone, right? You're learning how to stay in that moment and being fully aware of what's going on around you, but letting it go at the same time.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You're not a victim of just circumstance, but you're really kind of stepping in and taking a sense of ownership because you're calming yourself down to get clarity. And then the, the last part of that broaden and build, the word build is that you're then building clarity and building resources for the next steps that you want to take.
0: Oh, this is so good. I love it. Well, I, I would like to, to ask you a little bit, just pivoting um, a wee bit. Uh, last fall, you announced a partnership with a local nonprofit called Education-Based Housing. And it sounds really, really cool. Tell us more about what you're doing with them. Uh, it just sounds awesome to me.
1: So this is, I think, another one of those concepts of you know following your heart, following your passion to a certain degree. And one of my huge passions that is about supporting and providing and helping to create circles of well-being, if you will, and support. I feel like the studio business, it caters to a very specific demographic and that demographic is people who can afford to come and take those types of services. And there's so much that could be done and said in our world that could help various people. And so when I was talking to this organization called Education-Based Housing, What they do is they work within what's called tax credit apartment complexes. And tax credit implies that they're able to offer subsidized rent on their apartments because the developers and the managers and everyone who's involved in the building of the apartment complexes receives these majorly incentivizing tax credits that there's a win-win. They have the ability to charge lower rents for some of the units. And also then they provide various services to help the the residents of the apartments, you know, enhance in their lives in any way they need. So it could be from health and meditation services. It could be from food and nutrition services. It might be even like um, language services or computer skills that they might be training. And so one of the things that we've decided to, to work with them on is obviously the food, the nutrition, right? The meditation and the physical movement and even character development. Um, through the positive psychology. And so we're going to be offering them both in person and also online services through Define that are in all of these different categories. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is we have a class called Define Bounce where we have this trampoline and it's a really effective cardio and strength workout. But the best part about it is you can customize it to any person of any age or any fitness level. And so some of our apartment complexes within education-based housing that we're going to be working with are senior properties, so 55 and over properties, and then some of them are multifamily. And so we can create a fun, energizing kids class, or we can come up with a more restorative, um, gentle movement class. Because... Physical movement helps prevent dementia, helps prevent Alzheimer's. And then from a kid's perspective, it helps to help regulate their brains and their emotions and build a sense of resiliency. So it's all really, really powerful. So I'm, I'm just so excited to be working with them.
0: I think that's so awesome, and I can just I can just see the looks on everyone's faces right now. They're going to absolutely love it, and you know you might have some seniors that want to do the trampoline classes as well. <laughs> just, <Absolutely. laughs> obviously, they'll have to be in some kind of physical shape, but I, I can definitely see some uh, some older folks uh, loving that as well. That's going to be so awesome, so awesome. Well, Hank, what do you think has made Define so successful? If you could nail down just a couple of things, like, what do you think it is that really has made Define successful?
1: You know, I think that starting this idea was truly about how can we help? How can we offer a service that not, not only just is needed, but is delivered and provided by a group of people that are just passionate about being there? and i honestly think that the team and the staff that we've we've attracted over the years has been just incredible and each and every one of our locations that's been highly successful it's it's for that reason they are amazing at building community they're really powerful at helping to engage clients and creating an atmosphere that is you know not like you get in a lot of other environments and so truly walking into the store of define, it needs to be an experience. And that experience should be, you know, welcoming. It should be truly nurturing in many ways, but at the same time, pushing you and challenging you enough to get something out of it. So I think people come to us for that reason. And I think that when, when they come and they can say that we hear it so many times that it's the best hour of their day, then, then we're doing something really well. And, And that's the goal.
0: That's gotta be so rewarding hearing that like you're giving that gift to somebody, you know, that's so cool. Well, I love that you have taken your gifts as an athlete, your athletic gifts, but also your just passion around mindset. Um, and, and you've used it for this. Like what advice would you give though, to like an athlete, um, or a coach, you know, that, that is currently kind of in the heart, heart of their athletic career. Like what advice have you learned along the way that you would like to pass on to them?
1: it's going to echo a lot of positive psychology in the sense that it's it's important that we focus on strengths. And as a mentor or as an athlete, it's important for us to help discover that strength, whether it's a parent role or a mentor role or a coaching role, helping to really look at the strength of the individual and also then looking at our own personal strengths. And then perhaps even starting to say and see how do those strengths differ and how do we see things differently or... And you know how can we help to really boost whatever is innate within that individual? Because once we do that, there's something profound that happens. We start to see people really comfortable in their own skin. And not only that, but they start to be able to look at some of the different challenging components of life. And instead of using some of their weaknesses, which is very common in a challenging situation, we can now train ourselves to look at our strengths and use creative ways of applying that to our lives. So it really is, has been such a hugely, hugely important part of my mindset and my transition, if you will, even since being a diver, which is help people find their strengths, including ourselves. Mm,
0: I love it. Well, Hank, where can we connect with you learning more about define, I guess, can we take online class? Can anybody take an online class at define now?
1: We can. Yes. So right now the website definebody.com does offer a uh, online piece, but we're about to be launching, which is really exciting. Our brand new online platform called define life.com. And, um, we are going to be doing all sorts of fun stuff where we'll have weekly nutrition, weekly meditation or daily meditation classes. Um, and also weekly positive psychology lessons, um, all included under one online membership. So it's it's kind of all your favorite things, health and well-being all under one roof.
0: Okay. Sign me up, definelife.com. When is that um, launching?
1: We're launching it April the 1st. So all right. Really fun.
0: All right. Awesome. That sounds so cool. Well, Hank, thank you so much for coming on today, sharing not just your story, but your passion for people, your passion for just showing them what really matters, what their strengths are, um, and really just, yeah, how to be successful in life, which just kind of flows into every part of our lives. And so thank you so much for for coming on today.
1: Laura, thank you so much. And I mean, any chance to hang out with you is always fun. So I can't thank you enough. (laughs) I didn't
0: pay him to say that, I promise. (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.